Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? good. A beautiful Sunday and awesome. Uh, Doolers with us today. Franklin Doolers, uh, Franklin's uh, travel ball team for the summer, Ohio, Ohio Valley League. Did you have a good week? Good week? How many games? Did you get rained out? You had one game this week? Everything else got rained out? Yeah. Wow. How'd the game go? Awesome. Yeah. Go guys. Yeah. You guys are cool. We love uh, that you're here. We love that you're playing. We love that you're winning. But we also love that you join us on Sunday mornings. It's cool, guys. Thank you all. Uh, God bless all of you. Welcome to worship. Open your Bibles one more time to the book of Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. We've been going through Lamentations together in a sermon series entitled Cry a River. And this will be the last uh, message in this series. You ever been up against a wall? I mean, we use that language, just, you know, up against a wall. Um, it's the situation where you just feel stuck, like you have no options. Uh, maybe you are single with uh, no sign of a relationship on your horizon, or you're looking for work, or stuck in a job that you can't stand. I mean, that sort of situation where you just feel stuck, and you feel in those moments sometimes that God's just not there for you, that God's not listening, that God isn't responding. You knock on heaven's door till your knuckles bleed and there's just nobody home. You ever had that kind of situation? Because this is the situation that God's people are in all through the book of Lamentations. They are suffering. They have suffered because of their sin. And uh, now they're crying out to God. Uh, as you know, the book of Lamentations, we've been going through it is a collection of poems. They're, they're Hebrew poems. They are acrostic poems, which means what? Every line of the poem begins with the first, with the letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters, so there are 22 verses in each chapter. So each chapter is an acrostic poem that just rehearses over and over and over the suffering of the people, uh, the way that God uh, has... Uh, put them in such a difficult place. Chapter three is different though. You'll notice chapter three doesn't have 22 verses. It has how many verses? 66 verses. Whoa, what happened? 66 verses. So 66 is how many times 22? Three times 22. So chapter three is different and it is different. And you're supposed to go, whoa, something's different. And it is different. Chapter three has 66 verses. It's still an acrostic poem. Each section still begins with that letter of the alphabet, but this time, when you get to Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, it has three lines. So there are three lines for the first letter, three lines for the second letter, therefore three times 22 is 66 verses. So this one's different. It is the artistic climax of the book. It is the mathematical climax of the book. You understand? In every way, you're supposed to look at chapter three and say, what? And it's different and it's amazing. And it really is amazing. All through the book of Lamentations, it is just so dark. And it is dark. They literally are up against a wall, crying out, knocking on heaven's door until their knuckles bleed. And in chapter 3, hope breaks through. In chapter 3, they remember 
everything that suffering had made them to forget. And it's just beautiful. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to start with verse 1, go through verse 9, then skip down to verse 19. Now, when I'm finished, uh, Trisha Brown's going to come up one more time uh, to give us a word uh, on the word. But let's start here, and then I'll step aside for her, then I'll come back and preach the message. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. Hang on to your hat. This is good. I am the one. I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and flesh grow old. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He's blocked my way with a high stone wall. He's made my road crooked. Verse 19. The thought of my suffering and hopelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet... I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it's it's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it's good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love for he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. Good morning. How many of you ever lost something? Anybody? Anybody want to tell me what the most valuable thing, uh, material possession you've ever lost? Anybody? My husband lost his wedding ring twice. (laughs) That was pretty valuable. Author Mark Sloka wrote, Gone, the saddest word in the language. In any language. Hold on. Can you hear me? What do you want me to do? Loss is a kind of universal pain. Children know what it's like to lose things. Uh, They might lose a toy. They might lose a privilege or a pet. 
course, teenagers can relate to loss. They can relate to losing a competition or sometimes losing a friend or maybe even a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And of course, adults, we all know what it's like to lose things. Lose a job. We can lose an opportunity. Sometimes we lose our health. And of course, we all know what it's like to lose a loved one. Regardless of what is lost, we all know what it feels like. And let's face it, it doesn't feel good. Especially when we know that what's lost can never again be retrieved. When that GoPro or that camera with all of your vacation memories sinks to the bottom of the ocean, when your house with all of your sentimental heirlooms and childhood memories burns to the ground, when your spouse of 20 years walks out the door, when you bury that loved one in the ground, some pains are worse than others. Some losses cut so deep into our souls that they seem almost intolerable. Perhaps you felt that kind of pain. There's a coldness that comes when you pray that your reality is not real. There's a sense of forsakenness that envelops you when you beg God to make it all a bad dream. And he says, no. There's a searing agony when you reach for somebody you love in the middle of the night and you wake up to find it was all of a dream and they're really not there. There's a cavern of pain when you plead for second chances and do-overs to no avail. Would-haves, could-haves, should-haves, they can be haunting. Memories that are supposed to be a comfort can become so burdensome that you almost wish that you forgot could just forget. But forgetting, that's really your biggest fear. There's no peace. There's no peace in waking. There's no peace in sleeping. There's no peace in remembering. There's no peace in forgetting. There's no peace in talking about it, but yet there's no peace in silence. But life, it just keeps going on. No matter how significant that loss is to you or maybe to the world at large, the sun just keeps coming up and the sun keeps going down and the world, it just keeps going round and round. Every day begins anew. And whatever it is, whatever it is that you lost over time, it slowly begins to disappear from the rest of the world as if it really never existed outside of your breaking heart. The author of Lamentations, he knew. He knew this kind of loss. He knew that some losses, some pains, are just hard to forget. No matter how many days pass, no matter how many weeks or months go by, you still find yourself breaking into tears in the middle of the grocery store when you see his favorite snack. Hearing that certain song still makes you misty-eyed. The smell of a certain 
Perfume brings back a lifetime of memories. You see, time may heal the wound, but it cannot erase the scar. So why would we be hopeful? What is it exactly that we're even hoping for? We hope for strength to carry on. We hope for peace and joy and healing. But even more than that, we hope for a day when we won't have to feel lost again, when we won't have to remember hurt again, when we won't have to worry about the possibility of losing something or someone else again. Romans 8 says, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So, because we have to wake up to face loss every day, to face reality in a broken, sinful world, because every day the battle starts all over again, we need fresh mercy every morning. We need reminders that the best is yet to come, that because of the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we can be assured that brighter days are ahead. Despite our losses, despite our hurts, despite our pain, we can hope. Our hope is more than a wishful pie-in-the-sky kind of dream because our hope as Christians is anchored in the Lord who is our ultimate inheritance. We have a confident expectation of what is promised, not of what may come, but what will be. No, we're not going to always forget these awful losses, these desperate griefs. But because of the love of the Lord and his never-ceasing mercies, we can dare to hope. And in that hope, we can look forward to a future that is better than anything we've ever experienced and better than the best tomorrow that we could ever imagine. I will never forget this awful time, yet still I dare to hope. So good. Do you have a, a morning routine, a daily routine, anybody? Are you, are you routine people? Uh, I, I like to think I'm not, uh, but the older I get, uh, man, I tell you, I've become a, a creature of habit. Uh, my wife's always been a creature of habit. I, she's, she's ruining me, you all. Um, <laughs> She is. Uh, we have a Sunday morning routine. We we, we lived it out this morning. Uh, it's just we're 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 pathetic or or really dependable, one or the other. Um, the Casey's alarm clock goes off at uh, six o'clock on Sunday, but it's actually what five forty-seven because Casey sets her alarm clock thirteen minutes ahead just to add stress to our lives, you know. So because. 
not only do I have to wake up, now I have to wake up and do math. What time is it really? So it's six o'clock on Casey's alarm. It's, it's 543, whatever, on my alarm. So, so she gets up, she lets the dog out, and she goes and gets in the shower. I steal her pillow, flip over onto my stomach, and lay there for about 30 more minutes. Uh, at about 6.30 on my clock, 6.30 on my clock, I get up, I let the dog in, and then I go into the kitchen. I, uh, I know this is so pitiful. I measure one cup of Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal and put it in a bowl. I'm, I measure, I don't know why I even do that, but I can't, I, I medication. So I, uh, one cup of Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal, and then I pour in skim milk. I pour half a glass of Tropicana orange juice. I take a glucosamin tablet, a, a, a multivitamin, and an allergy pill. I sit down at the table, I eat my cereal while I look over the Sunday morning sermon. At about uh, seven o'clock, I let the dog in, I go to the shower, Casey's now drying her hair. Uh, I shower, I shave, I get dressed, I, I walk out, I say to Casey, how do I look? And this is every Sunday, how do I look? And she says, she says, ooh, baby. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> She says, mmm, baby. <laughs> You're dressing like a dapa damba even in jeans. <laughs> God's in original, the man of No, she's, no, honestly. <laughs> also, this sermon is in the tank. Um, she says, fine. I say, how do I look? And she says, fine. She just always says, fine. You know, when you live with all of this, she gets, she's used to it, y'all. She just says, Fine. So uh, we grab our bags and we walk out the door and come to church. I mean, it is just so, oh, we're just those old, scary people. I don't, I don't know how it happened to us. But, uh, but my hunch is probably we're not the only ones. I mean, uh, there's just something about learning what to expect, you know, and something about having your life just, just predictable, and whether you think of yourself as, as enjoying that or not, most of us really like to have some things nailed down. Uh, and whether or not we plan it or, or sketch it out, we fall into certain routines because that's just what, what it is to be human. We, we like to know what's up. We like to know what to expect. We like to know what we're waking up to every day. We like to feel like that certain things in our lives are um, dependable. So of all of the most dependable things in your life, this is the most important, and hear me now. Every morning you awake, God will be there for you. Every morning you awake. There's not a whole lot in this world that you can count on, and even the most deliberate routine doesn't last forever. I recognize that in my life, I only have so many Sunday mornings with this wonderful woman. But this, this is eternal. Every morning you awake, God will be there for you. So why does it sometimes seem like he's not? That's the question. 
It's the question that hangs over our lives. It's the question that's hanging over this particular season of some of your lives. It's certainly the question that hangs over the book of Lamentations. Now, this chapter in itself is is just so powerfully amazing, but at the same time, it holds together things that honestly, you have to wonder how. How does this hold together? In the same chapter, in the most amazing, amazing chapter in the book of Lamentations, it says this, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He's led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. Okay, all of that, remember? Verse 20, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Then then verse 21, it's like a bolt out of the blue, yet... I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin each new morning. How? How? How are both of those things true? I mean, how can we say the Lord is good and at the same time say he's walled me in? How? Well, let's just nail a couple of other things down. First, you may sometimes feel that God has turned against you, but it will never be so. You will sometimes think that God has turned against you. Now you're saying, no, wait, Pastor Tim, we said last week, that what is happening in Lamentations is you can draw a straight line from what they have done from their sin uh, to what's happening. I mean, mean, they brought this on themselves. And and in Lamentations, there's just that open confession. You know, this is happening. God has turned his back on us because we turned our back on him. I I mean, it's clear that they understand that. They were warned. I I mean, God, God over and over and over had told his people that if you follow this path, this is where it leads. So, Let's make one thing very, very perfectly clear. You may sometimes feel that God has turned against you. It will never be so. But, but still, don't forget, God is fiercely opposed to sin. And God will be fiercely opposed to your sin. So if you continue to live your life a little too close to your sin, understand, in God's desire to separate you from your sin, understand, at that moment, you may feel like he's turned against you. It will never be so. God is for us. Who can be against us? You understand God is for you, but God will go to great lengths to separate you from your sin because understand, if you can't be separated from your sin, you will be lost forever. So God in his great mercy comes in fierce opposition against all of the things that hurt and harm and destroy in this world and all of the things that hurt and harm and destroy in your life. And so God will come out like a she-bear, fiercely opposed to the things that would hurt and harm you. But if you refuse to separate yourselves from those things, if you refuse to separate yourself from your sin, if you refuse to separate yourself from the darkness and understand, you may sometimes feel that God has turned against you. 
You may sometimes feel that God has turned against you, but it will never be so. He will never be against you. He is fiercely opposed to your sin, but he will never be against you. He has built a high wall. Though I cry and shout, he has sought out my prayers. I mean, over and over and over, the people of God in the book of Lamentations, they continue to express this sense of abandonment. And, and it feels true. It feels true. But God has not abandoned them. I, I mean, he goes on to say, and then I remember this, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. God does not abandon us. He will never leave us, never forsake us. But sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels that way. You can't trust your feelings. You, you cannot trust your feelings. But, but let's talk about it. Why? Why is it that it sometimes feels that God is so far away? Why is it that the God who's always for us, never against us, why does it sometimes feel like he's just so far away? Let's talk about it. Let's just be honest about it. First off, I got to go back and say this. Some people just don't know God at all. Some people don't know God. Some of you, even in this house, in the cafe, in the sound of my voice, you don't know God. You, you just don't. You, you don't know him. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. Once you were far away from God, all right? Literally far away from God. But now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We're talking about salvation. So until you experience the salvation that comes from Jesus, by salvation, we're talking about the, the repair of this relationship that your sin has broken. Because of your sin, you are literally far away from God, far away from God. You do not know him. Now, he knows you and he loves you, but you are far away from God. Just admit that, recognize that. Until by the blood of Jesus, you were brought near, you were literally far away. So so some people literally are far away from God. They literally don't know God. And so when hard times come, when the storm crashes in, when the rains begin to fall, I mean, when life suddenly collapses, then these people are like, where is God? You know, well, God is far away from you because never in your life have you ever sought to draw near to him. Never in your life have you accepted his gift of salvation. Never in your life have you allowed him to draw near to you through Jesus. So let's just say that up front. Some people are lost. Some people are not believers. They just don't know God. And they're not suddenly going to find him near to them just because they're having a difficult time. You don't know him. You're far away from him. Jesus will bring you near in the moments you call upon his name. But until then, all you can know is God from the distance. All you can know is what other people tell you about him because you'll never know him in your heart until you accept him into your heart. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just the most honest thing I know how to say. A lot of people just don't know God. And so that's no mystery. If you're not a believer... Of course you don't feel God near to you. And if you're not a believer, if you've never accepted his gift of salvation, then of course you don't feel like your prayers are answered. They're not. You're far away from him. He can't do anything for you until you allow him through the blood of Christ to bring you near. So literally, some people, some people literally don't know God. It's just the fact. 
But, but now there's a whole other category here. Now I'm talking about, I guess I'm talking about believers now. Some of us in this house, you actually know God. You would call yourself a believer. You'd call yourself a Christian. But you know God, but you prefer, you prefer to keep him at a distance. I mean, let's just be honest. You like it this way. Because the God who comes near to you is the God who might require something of you. I mean, a God who actually is going to be near to you is going to probably get all up in your stuff. And you don't want that. You don't want a God whose Holy Spirit would convict you of your sin. You just want your sin. You don't want a God who comes in and begins trying to transform you. Oh, you like you just like you are. You understand what I'm saying? So you, you deliberately live your life at this distance from God. You're not in his word. You have no desire or hunger for his word. You're not really a person of prayer. You can go through day after day after day, sometimes week after week, sometimes whole years, and you don't actually pray. I mean, you might say the blessing over a meal. You might say the blessing at Thanksgiving if grandma calls on you. But honestly, you're a Christian, but kind of a Christian in name only. You go to church, you, you, you warm a pew on Sunday morning, but honestly, Monday through Saturday, those days belong to you. And you live with God at a certain distance. But then here's the thing. Sooner or later, you're up against a wall. Sooner or later, the bottom falls out of your life. Sooner or later, you remember that you need God more than anything. All of a sudden, you want to pray. And, and you start knocking on heaven's door until your knuckles bleed. But it seems like nobody's home. And then you turn around and say, where is God? Where is God? Why did God let this happen? And I'm just, let me just gently remind you that you haven't been interested in where God is for a long, long time. So don't be surprised when you look up and really need him and suddenly you can't find him. I just remind you, it is not God who's been misplaced. It's you. It's your life. You, you choose this. You keep him at a distance. You don't need him until you need him and then you're mad at him because you don't feel like he's there. Listen, this is your choice. This is the way you're living your life. You won't be close to him. You won't call upon his name. You're not familiar with his voice. So in those times when you really, really need to hear a word from God, it's hard for you because you're out of practice. You don't know his voice. You really need a sign from God, but you're so unaccustomed to seeing signs from God that your eyes don't even know where to look. I'm just being honest. It's really, really hard to learn how to pray when the bottom falls out of your life. It's a little late. I'm not saying God won't listen then. I'm just saying you're going to find it harder because you don't know how to pray. You don't know how to find your knees. You don't know how to listen for his voice. You don't even know how his spirit moves because you live your life so far away from all of that. So if you're not there yet, just consider this a word of warning. You're living at a great distance from the shepherd of your heart. So when your heart needs shepherding, you're gonna feel like the shepherd's far away. He's not, he's not. 
but this is sort of the distance that you have required so that you could, you know, live your life the way you want to live your life. You prefer to be without him most days, so when the day comes and you look up and you feel like he's not there, don't be surprised. I'm just telling you, don't, don't be surprised. You, like a lot of people, you know God, but you just prefer to keep him at a, at a distance. In that situation, I want you to be prepared for this. He'll never leave you, but God may indeed give you a sense of distance just so you learn to reach for him because you need to learn to reach for him. Sometimes God will allow circumstances to stir in you this real sense of desire for him because honestly, he is the only source of the things that would satisfy your soul. He's the only source. So sometimes he will leave you in a bit of darkness so that you remember how to look for light. And sometimes he will allow your heart to break so that you remember that he and he alone is the God who is near to the brokenhearted. Sometimes he will let you experience the consequences of your sins so that you remember how blessed it is to know that you are forgiven. May give you a sense of distance, but that is only so that you learn to reach for him. He will never leave you. Let me say this. Um, I, I just think that for some people, it's, it's really hard for them to believe that God is there because honestly, nobody else is. Nobody else is. It's really hard to believe that God cares if you don't feel like anybody else in the world cares. It's hard to believe that God loves you if you've never had anybody in the world love you. And so I think some people imagine that God isn't there because honestly, no one else is. No one else is. It's hard to believe that God is never going to leave you or forsake you if everybody else leaves and forsakes you. It's really hard to believe that God's going to show up if nobody else shows up. And so honestly, this is more a word to those of us as God's people. When you know that somebody is hurting, you've got to show up. You've got to show up. You've got to show them your love. You've got to show them your care because it's very, very difficult to believe that there is a God who loves and cares. If there aren't some people in your life who, who can deliver that love and care, God typically cares for us through his people. But so many of us are just so busy. We can't be bothered to help people, to, to, to sit with a person who's brokenhearted, to just let them cry. Ain't nobody got time for that. There's a world full of people that just wonder, is God there? I mean, they want to believe it, but they're so alone. I mean, you're laying in a hospital bed in a paper gown, receiving the worst news of your life, wondering if God cares, but then nobody else comes. Nobody else comes and just says, here, let me pray with you. I mean, have you never been in a situation where somebody just shows up and suddenly at that point, it becomes a little more believable that God must care too. I mean, a person comes and they, they just, they let you cry or they let you talk and, and that person leaves and, and you just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that she came. That's a gift. Just reminding you that there's a world full of hurting people that think God doesn't care because honestly, we give them the impression we don't care. 
So if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, just stop right now and think, who is it in my life? Who is it in, in your life right now, in your path, just really, really needs to know that somebody cares so that they can believe that God cares? Okay, that is your job. You go to them. Well, Pastor Tim, you don't understand. I'm not really good at that. Get good at it. I mean, practice. Practice caring. Verse, verse 20. I will never forget this awful time. That's an amazing kind of declaration. I, I will never forget this. Trisha talks about the... the the God who heals the wounds, you know, but doesn't necessarily erase the scar. I will never forget this awful time. Going through grief, uh, you're going to carry this with you the rest of your life. Make no mistake. Um, you're not necessarily going to be the same person. Life is really never going to, it's really not going to be the same. That doesn't mean it won't be good again, but it's not going to be the same. I, I will never forget this awful time. So honestly, there's certain things that you're never, ever going to forget. Even if you try, and even if you think you've forgotten, you wake up one morning and it's just fresh. It's, it's fresh, and, and you realize, I, I will never forget. As long as I live, I can go back to that moment, back to that funeral in a heartbeat. But look at verse 21. I love these verses right together. I, I will never forget this awful time, yet still I dare to hope when I remember this. So there's this sense that, you know, there's some things that I, I, I can't forget no matter how hard I try. And then there are other things that I have to make myself remember. I don't know why it is that we have this horrible ability to just remember all the things that we, we should forget. And then we forget all the things that we should remember. But this right here is, is the, the author of Lamentation says, I mean, I will never forget this awful time, but then I have to, have to make myself remember certain things so that I don't lose hope. So still, I dare to hope and I remember this. Faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. How many verses into this thing are we? I mean, you know, if, if you could say that, why didn't you lead with that? I mean, start out with that. Instead, he starts out with Jerusalem, so full of people, now deserted. Queen of the earth, now a slave. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. We've been drowning in this river of tears for all of these verses. When you had this... Faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is thy faithfulness. If you had that, why did it take us three chapters to get to that? Because honestly, when you have been besieged by terrors all around, when you have been crying a river of tears, when you have been walled in, when you've been shouting and screaming and knocking on heaven's door, sometimes you just have to sort of stop and, and make yourself remember that the faithful love of the Lord never ceases because it doesn't always feel that way. Just honestly, 
It doesn't always feel that way. And if you just get sort of down in your feelings, if you get stuck in that, in that pit, in that spiritual dungeon, you could forget the things that you really have to remember. You have to make yourself remember that the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. When I remember that, I feel like I can hope again. But I feel like I can hope again. But, but, but get that. His mercies, plural, which just blows my mind. His mercies are new every morning. You ever like forgot to put your phone on the charger and you wake up first thing in the day and your phone is like on, you know, 10% battery and you're thinking, oh, you know, worst day of my life. You know, you just, you know, 10% battery, you know, that's not going to get me to work. It's, it's an idea that, man, you used it all day and you used it all night and now it's spent. But here's the thing, God's mercies are new every morning. You use them all day, you use them all night, you wake up the next morning, man, it's a full supply. It's like you haven't even begun to exhaust the wealth of resources, the wealth of blessings that he has you. It's new every morning. You wake up, it's brand new. It's like you've never even been to the well. I mean, it's brand new. It's overflowing. Every single morning you wake up, his mercies are new. But here's the thing. Remember how when we wake up in the morning, we want the same. Like we're not looking for new things. I want Casey's alarm going off at some weird time. You know, what's going on? What's going on? Why are you up? You know, or why are you in bed? You know, what's going on? Don't be messing with, don't be messing with me. I like knowing what to expect. I like knowing where to find the cinnamon toast crunch, the measuring cup. I like knowing where everything is, but this is the deal about God. He's not necessarily interested in your routine. As a matter of fact, something about God, he just sort of delights in blowing it up. He looks down at Tim and Casey and says, that, those poor people are getting old before their time. I'm just going to surprise them today. You know, new every morning. Here's what you have to understand. The long sentence, I couldn't make it any shorter, uh, but so stay with me. If you only see the stuff God does in the ways you expect, you'll miss the stuff that God does in the ways you never expected. I worked hard on that. Does that make any sense? <laughs> if you only see the stuff God does in the ways you expect. You see, this is us. Just wake up every day expecting God to do today what he did yesterday in the very same way. But God never, ever plays greatest hits. Not one time. He's always singing a new song. He's always bringing you forward into a new day. Yesterday's gone. Totally gone. It's a new day and God's mercies are new today. So just hang on to your wigs and keys. God is going to do something new. And so, if you only see the stuff God does in the ways you expect, you'll miss the stuff God does in the ways you never expected. Open your eyes. You haven't seen what God's going to do today. I will never forget this awful time. Yet still I dare to hope when I remember this. 
The faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is thy faithfulness. One, one, one little thing, it, it, it comes there. Verse 26. So it is good to say the word, wait. Ooh. Good to wait. Obviously, whoever wrote this has never gone to Walmart. We got like 40 cash registers, you know, and, and like just one of them's open and it's that toothless lady, you know, the slow. Good to wait. You know, who says it's good to wait? It's good to wait quietly. Quietly? I don't wait quietly. I may wait, but I'm going to make some noise while I, you know, no. It's good to wait quietly. I guess the secret of that is knowing what you're waiting for. Maybe I, maybe I wait, maybe it's good to wait if whatever you're waiting for is, is worth the wait, you, you know? And maybe it's easier to wait quietly when you know who's bringing it and you know it's gonna be good. It's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Just a couple of things. Maybe in the mystery of what God is doing in the world is as necessary right now for you to wait. That, that feels like you're up against a wall. It feels like God's got you stuck. It, it feels like so many things, but ignore your feelings. At, at this present moment in your life, it's just necessary for you to wait. And that doesn't mean that God has left you. It doesn't mean he's abandoned you. It doesn't mean you're stuck here forever. It just means that for now, it's good for you to wait. So uh, just chill. <laughs> Wait, it's, it's good because what God is gonna do at the end of this thing is infinitely better than anything that you could possibly do on your own if you refuse to wait. Just wait for him quietly. Let your soul be quiet and just wait for him because of, of all of Of, of all of the most reliable things in the world that you can ever know, this is the most important. Every morning when you awake, God is there for you. Every morning, his mercies are new. Every morning. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, there are, are guys in this room today who need something new from you. God, there are men and women in this room who have been stuck up against a wall in, in a spiritual dungeon for what seems like a long time. It seems like forever, God. And, and it seems like as, as much as they have beaten a path to your door, Lord, that, that nobody's home. 
it seems like the prayers that we pray sometimes, Lord, they just bounce back off the ceiling and laugh in our face. God, today, let our faith find hope in the things that our feelings will never know. Oh God, let us, make us remember that you're good and that you're great, that your faithfulness is great, that your love and mercies are new every single morning, including today. So God, help us to stop looking for you to bring back yesterday or do for us today what you did for us yesterday. Oh, oh God, we'll just sit back and wait and allow you to do today something new, something good, something great. Because no matter what happens to us in this life, Lord, no matter what awful times we may never be able to forget, Lord God, still we will dare to hope Remembering that you are faithful, that you are good, that you love us. And every single morning when we wake up, you are there for us. God, we love you. We thank you. Would you make these things real in the lives of those people today who wonder if these things are real? Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. On your feet, uh, let's sing.